was it was pretty rotten so um thanks for your prayers miles had it also but because he's a kid he just bounced right back and he's kind of like what's the problem you know like what are you what are you in here for um so <clears throat> you know there we go anyways uh today we're talking about angels but before we had our kids log a few questions in one is how did dinosaurs die probably something like this ah and then they fell down. Um, that's probably how they died. Um, I wasn't there. I'm, I'm not old enough. Uh, I guess what the common theory is a meteor. Um, there you go. That's as good as any. Sorry, kids. I wish I could answer that one for you. Um, but they're, they're dead. Um, the next thing uh, is hell. What about hell? Why is there one? Um, we spent some time talking about this a few years ago in a series called um, Problem of God. And it is a difficult uh, discussion. Uh, the short answer, and maybe we need to come back at this one a little bit longer, um, the short answer is this, hell exists because there's some people that just don't want to be with God, and God doesn't force himself on people, and so what do you do with that? Um, a couple thoughts on hell that if you are wrestling with this, because it is a tough situation, I mean, there's no doubt, um, let me give you a couple thoughts on it, and you can think about it, and, and I'm glad to discuss this further with anybody, but the first one is this, is hell is not this sort of monochromatic picture that we've always been taught, it seems, in church, where there's this idea that hell is just constant fire and this, that, and the other. Uh, Jesus himself said that hell would be uh, harder for some people than others. So we know that there's different levels of hell. So there's that. Um, and then the second thing is there's different understandings of how hell works. Um, the traditional idea is that, you know, hell is kind of this place that is the absence of God. And in the absence of God, that's really all that hell is. It's that God has withdrawn himself from you. But uh, the Orthodox Church kind of pushes against that and says, well, if, if God's not there, then how can it exist? Because God's everywhere and everywhere that God is, uh, he brings life, he brings existence. So um, they kind of wrestle with that. And they have this idea that hell is actually um, the way that some people perceive the presence of God that uh, God is a consuming fire full of love and truth and, and everything there. He's just kind of pictured as this flaming, just amazingly, just warm and overwhelming, just fire of love for people. And as people who have surrendered to the love of God, uh, they're sort of likened to gold. And when you take gold and you put it in the fire, what does it do? It, it melts, it, it starts to glow itself. It takes on the attributes of fire and it becomes more like it. Whereas if you take a log and you put it into the fire, what happens? It's consumed by it and it's destroyed. And the Orthodox Church is really that we all come into the presence of God in its fullness. And the way that we perceive it is largely dependent on how we want to receive God. Um, and so I think that's kind of an interesting thought on hell. Not all of you agree with it. That's fine. Uh, I've not been there either. So just as I'm unqualified to answer the dinosaurs, uh, I'm probably unqualified to answer this. But um, I guess I just wanted to put that out there for you to think about and ruminate on. All right, today though, we're looking at angels. <clears throat> what are they? Who are they? Uh, what do they do? Uh, do we see them? What do they look like? Can we get a little help from them? Um, there's a lot of thoughts on angels. You go in the Old Testament, you've got pictures of angels sort of just showing up as travelers to people like Abraham. You've got these things where it seems like angels are like um, UFOs. I don't know how else to describe it from the book of Ezekiel. They're flying around, they're on fire. It's crazy. Um, you know, and part of the problem is we just lack probably the, the right language to describe 
these celestial beings. Now, I know some of you are here and you don't maybe believe in angels or you're very skeptical about these things. I understand that. Uh, I respect that. I get it. Um, but there is something even the skeptic has to admit. There's, there's things we just can't explain in life. I mean, we've all heard these stories about people who've been helped. You know, somebody maybe lifted a car or whatever, and then all of a sudden you turned around to look for them and you couldn't find them. You know, is that an angel or just, uh, you know, an anonymous do-gooder? Um, it's hard to explain these things. Uh, I would be the first to tell you I don't think I've ever seen an angel in my life. Um, I don't think I've had that experience, but I've, I've talked to people that have. And these are not people that uh, see UFOs regularly, um, chase after leprechauns. Um, you know, these are people that have good, common sense, rational, you know, critical thinking people have had these encounters. Uh, there's one encounter I want to share with you that I think is kind of uh, interesting because it's occurred so many different times. I've heard it from people who were involved in this instance in multiple locations. One was in uh, Haiti, and the other, I can't remember the exact location, but they were dealing with uh, the gospel going out and uh, working with uh, some folks in the Middle East in places where it was illegal to be a Christian. And I've actually since read a similar account from other people who, again, um, you know, rational thinking people. And the story um, has repeated itself many times, and the elements of it change a hair, but here's the gist of the story, is that you've got a group of people uh, talking about Jesus, and then you've got a group of people within their community uh, that resist that, that sort of hate this idea that people would give their lives to Christ. And so they've made a decision that they're going to attack this mission group, this missions outpost, these people, uh, this church, uh, whatever, who are proclaiming about Christ. And at the appointed time, day, day or night, whatever it is, they show up uh, ready to, to sort of tear things down and to do harm. And when they arrive, they find that there's a group of, of guards or soldiers surrounding the place where these missionaries are, and they leave. And later, uh, almost all of these accounts that I've heard, uh, they'll have an encounter. They'll say, hey, tell me about what happened. How did you know we were coming? They said, we didn't know you were coming. Well, who were these people that were there? And they said, we've never had guards. We've never had anybody stand uh, and watch over our location. They say, well, when we came, they were there. And um, I think this, this is a story, again, that I've heard so many times that I, I can't help but believe that it's absolutely true and that it's something that God does to protect those who are taking the gospel into very hostile areas. And so I, kind of just with that little bit of story and just kind of that little bit of interface with our own reality, I want to look at scripture a little bit and kind of try to peel apart what is it that angels are there for? What do they do? Let's, let's look at it here. First is this. We need to understand that angels are not perfect and they need to be tested. So I don't need a show of hands, but I know some people are a little more uh, spiritually minded and you've had more encounters with spiritual things uh, perhaps than I have. And we could talk about why that is and maybe it's because I'm you know, I'm a cold-hearted skeptic, and maybe you're just, you know, you're more faithful than me. I, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons perhaps for it, but um, regardless of your encounter with angels, if you run into one, you need to realize they're not perfect. They need to be tested. Paul talks about this. Uh, well, first we're going to look at John, apparently. Uh, uh, John uh, talks about this in Revelation. Who made these slides? Oh, it was me. Uh, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Uh, this is Revelation. So John is having this encounter in heaven. He's having this amazing view and vision of heaven, of God, of angelic beings. And you can imagine how overwhelming this would be. He says, I saw these things, and when I'd heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd been showing them to me. 
But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the word of this scroll, worship God. John is overwhelmed. He doesn't quite know who to worship, but he knows he probably ought to worship somebody at this point in time. And so he just falls to his face. And this angel with great wisdom says, hey, listen, you're not here to worship me. We all worship God. Uh, Direct your worship to him. You see, angels are servants of God just like us. They are there uh, to serve God and to do what God has called them to do the way that we are as well. They are under the lordship of God. Now, some angels have rebelled. They've fallen to earth. We've got glimpses of this in different passages in Scripture. These are what we would describe as demons. Uh, But those that did not fall are still given choice. And one day are going to face judgment. Here's what Paul has to say. Paul says this, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Um, the question that always comes after this passage is, what does that mean? And the answer is, I don't know. Um, there you have it. I, I know this is, really, this is really helpful for those of you that have struggled with this passage. So how does this work? Paul doesn't explain it. He just says, listen, at the end of time, when those who have been called by God and have been faithful, when they enter into heaven, there's going to be a time when those who are created in the image and likeness of God, that's us, that's not angels. Think about that for a second. They're going to be the ones who are going to judge the angels. Now, this could be a few things. This could be one uh, sort of like a, like a final judgment type of thing. It could also be a rewards-based judgment. We read in the scripture that um, you know, there's going to be this rewards judgment for the things they've done in this life. So at some point in time, humanity, the tables are going to be flipped, and humanity is going to have the, the resources and the knowledge with which to judge angelic beings. Uh, so I think that's something we need to hold on to, because we, I think as sort of mortals, we sort of lift up this angelic class and go, man, it's just, how amazing would this be? But Paul says, listen, no, 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 they're sent to help and to serve us. Uh, Paul will continue in Galatians 1. He'll say this, he said, if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Uh, So Paul says, listen, if you are the kind of person that's getting messages from angels, if you're the kind of person that's hearing these supernatural voices and having these kinds of encounters, you need to realize, Paul says, that the gospel isn't going to change. And so when we talk about needing to test and discern the angels, what it really means is that we need to make sure that any revelation we might receive, and I know for some of us it sounds pretty far-fetched, we're not expecting an angel to show up, but again, I know some people have these kinds of encounters, and pop culture has got all sorts of ideas about angels. Paul's saying, listen, it's always going to line up with the gospel. It's always going to line up with what God has said. John will take it a step further. He'll say, friends, do not believe every spirit or angel, we might say, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we, how do we test them? Uh, we test them by knowing whether or not they affirm Jesus Christ uh, as having come. If you read that passage here in John chapter 4, verse 1, you move down to verse 2, it talks about how any angel that's going to come in the name of God is going to affirm the divinity, the deity, and the humanity of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's us as people. We need to realize that angels... They're not perfect. They're something that we would need to test and discern. Uh, But what do they do? Well, first is they serve God. And they're seen in heaven as praising him. Uh, This is kind of the number one thing you see when you get heaven's curtain pulled back, whether it's in the the book of Isaiah, Revelation, we see that angels are praising God. Uh, Here's that passage from Isaiah. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I, this is the prophet Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so God is there in all of his majesty, and who's accompanying him? It says, with him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angels are serving as worship leaders, if you will. They are leading the praise of God in heaven and on earth. And they are calling all of creation to join in the praise of the king of the universe. If you go to Revelation chapter uh, 5, uh, 4 and 5 there, where we get this picture of the throne room of God, you'll see that there's these angels pictured as animals. And a lot of people think that these are representations of the animal kingdom. And what are they doing? They're leading even creation, even the animals, in praise to God. They are, uh, they are heralds. They're announcing the goodness of God. Revelation 5 says, I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's here that they are declaring the absolute truth of the universe. They're basking in the delight, the radiance of God's perfection, and they're declaring that the, to the world that God is good. Now, they're not just declaring this. They're also working this about. We see that angels come at different times to earth to execute God's judgment. Uh, see this throughout the Old Testament, right? Jesse did a great job last week talking about Passover, and it was, it was a great message talking about the deliverance, but that deliverance is from this judgment that comes from the angel who comes to deliver God's people from Egypt. It happens in the New Testament as well, uh, although on a much smaller example. One example is in the book of Acts. Do we have any junior high kids in here this morning? How are our junior high kids? Yeah, we got a couple. Great, perfect, awesome. Got one here. Junior high boys love the passage I'm about to read. It's like their absolute favorite, like life verse here in the New Testament. Here you go. You ready for this one? On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes, say that ten times fast with a, a throat thing, sat, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Awesome. So awesome. Um, Herod here is struck down uh, by an angel, eaten by worms, dies. Now, some of you, you're missing a little context here. The Herods are some bad people. I mean, rape, murder, kidnap, genocide. None of these things are beyond the Herods. They're glad to kill people. They're glad to take people. They're glad to do anything they want. And here, it seems like God's had enough from the Herodian dynasty. Uh, as he steps out, everybody's just trying to just stroke Herod's ego so that way they can get what they want. And they're saying, man, this isn't the voice of, of man. You must be a god. And God says, that's it. I can't handle this anymore. Go down there. Give him, do something. Give him some worms. I don't know. And he strikes Herod down. This is a divine act of judgment. Um, and we see that this is going to happen at the end of time. Um, so angels come, and it's like they are there to help sort of nudge uh, what's happening. It's like they're there to sort of nudge and move things around uh, a little bit uh, to, to bring them in line with God's plan and intention for humanity. Uh, Matthew tells us that at the end of time, uh, there's going to be a harvest, and the harvesters are the angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who does evil. You see, angels come as God's divine messengers. They come to announce, to lead praise, to lead worship, to sort of nudge humanity and the world in line with God's plan. That's what they do. But the primary way that they they do this is by helping people. God sends his angels to his people uh, to help them. So here's a couple things. I'm going to give you a few things they do. One is this, is they bring messages. Uh, I'm not going to read these passages because these are ones you're probably a little more familiar with. Uh, They show up in the Old Testament to people like Abraham. They show up to Daniel. In the New Testament, they announce the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus. They announce the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus leaves the tomb, and what happens? Then all of a sudden, the angels come, and they say, Hey, why are you looking for the dead among, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Not only that, but they announce how Jesus is going to return. Jesus leaves the earth, and the angels show up, and they say, hey, listen, he's going to come back that same way. So there's no sense for you to stand here like this. You just might as well go about your business and, and take the message of the kingdom of the world like he's told you, and he's going to come back this way. Angels show up in the book of Acts to reveal the gospel to Gentiles. Uh, the, the church is largely this Jewish sect at this point in time, and they haven't quite decided if Gentiles are going to make it in or not. Angels show up to a guy by the name of Cornelius to usher in the kingdom of God uh, to the Gentiles. You see, angels are God's heavenly heralds, and they, they show up, it seems, throughout Scripture at times when God is doing something new. When God is about to do something new, they need, he needs to highlight it. Angels show up to bring these messages. And it's interesting today that we don't have a lot of declarations of angels today. Or it seems rather limited, I would at least say that. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it can't happen or won't happen. It just doesn't seem to happen. And we might ask this question, well, why is it? Is it that we, we've sort of evolved in our thinking? We're not as spiritually minded? I, I don't know uh, that. Here's what I do know is that God isn't doing anything new other than what he's done in Jesus Christ. And that the next time angels are foretold as coming in a big, hot and heavy way is going to be at the end of time when God is doing something new again. And so I think that we might be able to be comfortable knowing that, yes, we don't have a lot of new angelic messages. It's because God has already done something new for us in Jesus Christ. So they bring messages. The other thing they do is they guide them. We read in Exodus that God sends an angel ahead of the people to guard and to guide the people of Israel to the place uh, where God has prepared. Doesn't do this as much in the New Testament, and here's why. Mark 13, 10 says, All the gospel must first be preached to all nations, and whenever you're arrested and brought to a trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. So this is Jesus telling the disciples, he's saying, listen... You're going to be arrested. You're going to be tried. People are going to hate you for telling the gospel. People are going to hate you for telling the the good news about me. Uh, What do you do? Do you prepare a speech ahead of time? The answer is no. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Why? Is it because an angel is going to bring you the message? No. It says that whatever you need to say is going to be given to you at that time because it's not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. So it seems that things have changed a little bit on this side of the cross. That instead of angels coming to give messages, instead of angels guarding and guiding his people, that the Holy Spirit of God fills them. Now, if you grew up like I did in church and you heard all these amazing stories about angels in the Old Testament, you might you know, be tempted like me to want to go ask Moses, what was it like to be led through the wilderness you know, by an angel? Or ask Abraham, what was it like to sit down and have a meal with an angel? Uh, what was it like to have this? And, and that's a good question. But I really think that those heroes of the faith, Abraham and Moses and the like, they're going to look at us and say, hey, 
Uh, angels, yeah, they're all over. You see them, but what was it like to have the very Spirit of God inside of you? Can you tell me what it was like to have the Holy Spirit filling your heart and your soul? What was it like to know that God was inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, church, the Holy Spirit is taking on this role of guidance because he has now come to live and dwell with us. Uh, third thing here that angels do is protect people. Uh, this is one everybody likes to talk about. Um, in the interest of time, we won't get into all of this. Acts 12 has got a great story where Peter is arrested. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appears in the cell. He strikes Peter on the side, wakes him up. He says, quick, get up. And the chains fall off of Peter's wrist. And the angel is going to lead Peter to, um, to safety. Uh, it says that the gate opens for him by itself. They went through it. When they walked the length of one street, the angel leaves him. The angel comes to deliver Peter from this uh, death sentence, from this prison uh, that he's in, because he has got more work to do, and God delivers him. Uh, Matthew talks about this. This passage, everybody likes this one too. It says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, I, this is where we get the idea of guardian angels. You know, what, uh, you know, this idea that everybody's got one angel that sort of follows them around um, and, you know, leads them through life and protects them from things and, and all of this. That's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't actually say that everybody's got a guardian angel. Uh, he says that the little ones have an angel. So this could mean that children, uh, all children have an angel. It could mean that. It could mean that anybody who's new or little, young in their faith, perhaps they have an angel. But beyond that, we don't have this type of assurance. And every time we see these angels show up, particularly in the New Testament, it is when something is happening, when, when God is doing something new inside of, of a person, inside of an area. And, and I want to I close sort of with this image here, this idea, is that, you know, like if you were to travel to a, 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 you know, a seemingly hostile foreign country, you know, maybe you're going to travel uh, to China, I don't know, or to... Uh, I'm probably not anybody's flying to Russia anytime soon, but you know maybe you're going to fly to China and and you're going to go over there as a, as a tourist and and you're going to go see the Great Wall. You can do all these things and you know if you should happen to uh, deface some propaganda, do something over there, it's probably not going to go real well for you. Um, you know you could be looking at some some penalties, some sort of maybe some you know something that's going to happen. It's not going to be a good thing. Um, but if you travel over to China not as a tourist, but as an emissary, like you're an ambassador, you're working for the United States government, you get a different type of passport. You have a different type of protection. You even have what they call diplomatic immunity, where if you were to do something like that, there would be a whole lot more protection afforded to you by the, the State Department, by the United States government. And I think that's how many of us think about our lives, is we have this idea that we live sort of like with this type of protection, this diplomatic community as we live in the world. But the truth is, most of us are tourists in the kingdom of darkness, and we're not emissaries of the kingdom of light. You know, we're tourists in the world that is ruled and reigned by Satan himself. I mean, in a place that is evil and dark. And we think, man, God's going to be with me as I go on my, my tourist, my sightseeing trip throughout this world. And we don't live as an emissary of light. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't proclaim Jesus. We don't share the hope we have in Jesus. We don't even tell people we're praying for them. And we expect that God is going to protect us. That's not what the New Testament pictures. The New Testament pictures that there is this divine protection for those who are advancing the kingdom of God. 
So I know the question a lot of people have when we come to angels is this, is why don't I have more of an encounter with angels? And the answer is because you don't need it. It's because you're not doing anything that warrants that type of protection. You're not doing anything that warrants that type of intervention in your life. It's just reality, friends. And so if we're saying, man, I want to see some of these spectacular things happen. I want to see some of this supernatural stuff come through. I want to see God at work. Then go someplace and do something that's going to require God to work on your behalf because you're working on his. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish folks, they had a lot of different ideas about angels. Not in the Old Testament, but in ancient, ancient Jewish tradition, they had named seven archangels. You have Uriel, Raphael, Rag, Raguel, I don't know, maybe he does spaghetti sauce when he's not in heaven, uh, Michael, Serakel, Gabriel, and Remiel. Um, I don't know a lot of Remiels or uh, Serakels in my life. Um, but they had all these names for angels, and, and the reason you would name these types of angels is because you were wanting to maybe invoke or control that angelic power. But Scripture gives us a very different understanding. The idea is this, is that actually we don't have to command the angels because God does that. Uh, when we talk about the Lord being the Lord of hosts, what that means is that he is he's in charge of these battalions of angels, and he directs them to do what? To advance his kingdom and to protect his people. So what we need to do most is to pursue Jesus, to follow him, to advance his kingdom. And if we do that, we're going to see God show up in many more ways in our life. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that challenges us, uh, challenges us, God, to take risks, that assures us, God, that if we do take these risks, Lord, that you will be there, that there isn't a, a human power, that there isn't anything that would stand in your way, God, of protecting us, neither height nor depth. I mean, any of these things, powers, principles of the world, darkness, God, none of this can stand against us if we're moving and working for your kingdom. So, God, we know that the truth isn't that you haven't shown up for us, God, but it's that we've not shown up for you. We've not seen you, God, because we haven't been in a place that's required you to break through the darkness with your light. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would challenge all of us, that you challenge me, God, to take greater risks for your kingdom. Because, Lord, we know that when we do that, you're going to show up and you're going to show yourself as powerful. You're going to show yourself as God. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, this morning, I want you to be challenged to take some risks this week. Most of us, I think, know what God is perhaps wanting us to do in life. We just keep telling him no. We keep telling him later. Let's make it a point here as we sing this to say, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to take some risks this week. I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to talk about Jesus a little bit more. I'm going to engage.